Calls are growing for the new government to urgently address the hefty bills facing owners of earthquake-prone buildings. Former Wellington apartment owner Kate Hazel Kirkham is warning many simply cannot afford the hundreds of thousands of dollars needed to get their buildings up to code and will not be able to comply with upcoming deadlines. She and others have also done analysis she says shows the current legislation is not fit for purpose. The issue particularly impacts the capital, though not exclusively so, with Wellington having more uh, multi-owner quake-prone buildings than any other city, as well as shorter time frames to comply due to its seismic risk. A review of the legislation is currently planned by MB for 2027. Building and Construction Minister Chris Pink declined an interview this morning, but says he is seeking advice from officials in the coming weeks on what options are available to the government. He has told the Post newspaper that he is keen to bring forward a review of the laws, if appropriate, and possibly to extend deadlines. But he warned against compounding the situation, quote, by creating more uncertainty by making a decision that is quick rather than safe or reasonable, unquote, and that it would take as long as needed to get the decision right. He also said that if the review were to be brought forward, it might make sense to pause the enforceability of certain aspects of the current regulations. This might be done by category of building, with a, quote, nuanced approach of what risk was understood to be. Wellington City Councillor Iona Panitz long campaigned for a review of the regulations. She's warned potential buyers not to buy apartments until policy around earthquake strengthening is changed. Kia ora, welcome. Morena. Hazel Kirkham argues provisions in the 2004 Building Act are nonsensical and should be repealed. She'll be with us in a moment on the research that she and others did. Uh, but, Councillor uh, Pennett, first of all, um, what are you making of what... Well, first, what's the situation right now with respect to deadlines for owners to either strengthen or demolish their apartments or their other buildings? So we have got a crisis situation, really. 300 buildings have to be strengthened by the end of 2027. Um, this essentially means that some small business owners, some homeowners will essentially be forced to sell uh, or demolish their building and uh, lose a lot of money. And New Zealand is unique in the world in having such a, a, a robust um, regime for retrofitting uh, existing buildings, which is why we're getting into so many problems. So the deadlines are looming for 300, the deadline being a bit over three years. If those deadlines are reached and building owners haven't complied, upgraded or demolished, what action will the council take? So I don't think that, and I was involved at the time, that Parliament assumed that 300 apartment owners would have to be taken to court. So there's no case law around this really except for the action that we've um, so far taken. Really, uh, we can make a decision if someone hasn't complied. After We will work with owners for many, many years. If they haven't complied, we can go to the district court. If they are convicted, they can be fined up to $200,000 or a body corporate $1.5 million. For most of us ordinary people, that would be a lot of money. But, of course, it costs the council a lot of money too, and we simply cannot take... So are you um, saying you probably wouldn't action it? Well, we have already. We have taken uh, two owners to court, uh, two heritage buildings, um, but we don't want to do it for everyone. We can't afford it, and it would clog up the court systems. And, of course, Wellington is not the only one affected. There are a number of other places around the country that are in the high-risk zone. Sure, but it's very a, a very concentrated issue here. 
the Minister declined an interview with us at the moment, but what do you make of his reported comments on possibly bringing forward that 2027 review and possibly on a case-by-case basis holding off on enforcement? So I've been very positive. The Minister has listened to the community and to the Council. We've asked for a review. We've asked for at least an extension of three years so that the the policy work can be done thoroughly. To 2030? Yes, yeah, something like that. The problem is, and we'll bring Hazel in, that people remain stuck. They can't afford to upgrade. They can't sell. And their deadline just seems to, in some ways, uh, extend the pain. I'll come back to you in a moment. Let's bring in Hazel Kirkham. Good morning and thanks for your time. Morning now. Can you run us succinctly, and forgive me for asking that, through what's been a very long and painful process for you and for others, just for people not fully aware, what an individual's case can be like? What did you go through trying to deal with the obligations on your apartment? Um, in, in 2012, uh, we had a, a com- we were part of a complex. Uh, we got an EPB notice, a, a earthquake prone building notice, on one of the buildings, and straight away we were we were surprised. We uh, had been told by various people the building was very well built, didn't have any problems. So we were surprised by that, and we started working out what was going to happen if everybody. Um, all the buildings were were given a notice, and, and how much we would pay. And at that stage, MB was uh, had had said in their estimates it would be uh, three hundred dollars per square meter to strengthen a building. So most of us were looking at around about thirty thousand. We weren't happy with that, but we thought, well, if the building has a problem, we will contribute to the safety of people in Wellington. We'll 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 live with that. But it, it wasn't anything like that. Quite soon, we started to get costs from civil engineers, from, from structural engineers, and the cost just kept going up and up and up as inspections were done, and they found more problems because, obviously, you can't just assess for the um, earthquake-prone um, proneness of a building. You're going to see other things uh, in our case, it wasn't too bad, but it could be it could be asbestos. It could be some huge problem. Anyway, by about uh, 2017, the individual costs that uh, my partner and I were going to have to deal with and other apartment owners was 1.4 million per apartment. So obviously, at that stage, we we knew we could not comply because you know we'd be. Ha- well, it's just impossible to, to contemplate. And so we had to start thinking of alternatives. And believe me, we went through every kind of alternative and every kind of advisor costs money. Eventually, we realized we would have to sell um, the, the complex. That in itself is a huge legal problem. It's very unusual to sell a, a unit title building of that size. But we managed to do it uh, through a collective agreement of owners. And in 2021, we sold the building uh, as a complete entity to a developer who is now putting 221 units where 42 people's homes were before. So that's a a horrendous experience for everyone. Nobody... um, Nobody is is okay about losing half their capital, which basically we all did by selling, obviously, <laughs> in a buyer's market. Um, 
and that's what we all have to have to live with now and for some of us who didn't have the money to put back in you know we have to go looking for a new home at half the value of our old home and there aren't any of those in wellington that are not earthquake prone buildings or leaky buildings okay so hazel the other situation that i'm sure you can speak to from members of the inner city group there are people who've strengthened once and then found they've Mm -hmm. had to strengthen a second time correct Mm, yes and the other thing that Uh, can happen is that the the measure used here number in wellington right uh, that can be, I can tell you from one example, 83% one year and be less than 15% the next year, depending on which part of the regulations um, are, are, are holding sway. The famous red book, yellow book, red chapter, yellow book, mm-hmm. whatever, that, that Wellingtonians will be familiar with. Okay. Mm-hmm. You and others, on top of everything else, went in and did some analysis of the provisions in the 2004 Building Act. And look, we remember we remember the context of Christchurch. We know we have an earthquake-prone country, and we understand the priority of preserving human life where possible. But what did you find when you did your analysis about what these regulations were actually requiring um so we we we've surveyed a, a lot of of affected building owners so we do have some really good data from them um i have to say no data has been collected by mb um at all on how many people are affected as apartment owners how much it's costing them what the costs are how they're handling the technical side of of the problem, because, of course, this is amateur people, if you like, um, taking on commercial-scale building projects. Um, So we we, we could find the data from the owners. We can also, we can find data from MB uh, documents, and some some of those are, are public, and some of them we've got through OIAs. And it shows that if no strengthening is done at all on these buildings, 13 buildings, and this is a GNS contribution to MB's figures, 13 buildings over a period of 75 years may collapse in earthquakes, and that may create a death toll of 73 lives. So that's no strengthening. If, on the other hand, 15 to 20,000 buildings built before 1976 are strengthened or demolished. That number will be reduced by three buildings only, saving 29 lives only. But the cost of doing that, which all building affected building owners basically share, was calculated by Envy at the time, 2012, to be 3.6, sorry, 112 million. No, I've got that, sorry, I've got those numbers wrong. But they were going for $300 per square meter. Now we're looking at $5,000 per square meter. To strengthen. So the cost of saving a life now 
1.8 billion. And that is what building owners are being asked to pay in total. For, for what? For saving 29 lives. Frankly, statistically, that's a marginal number and does not justify the pain that people are going through. I mean, actually, it's just extortion. Where do you think the flaws are in the legislation? You've done some hard numbers there. It's always, it's always unpleasant putting an economic value on a life, isn't it? But governments and actuaries yeah. and others do so. And it's seldom oh. when we are making assessments, uh, it's seldom any near, anywhere near $1.8 billion. Uh, it's priceless to those who love them. But that's just you not, not a figure that is used when, when making hard balancing act decisions about safety. Um, but where do you think in the legislation the flaw in, in, in logic has occurred, if you like, or the perverse outcomes have occurred in what is now a 20-year-old piece of legislation and pre-Christchurch and what we learned from Christchurch? Hmm. Um, I don't I mean the the flaws in the legislation come from the flaws in the uh, policy work and the analysis that is supposed to be done. Uh, there are treasury guidelines uh, and cabinet guidelines for that. Um, that 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 work that analysis work is supposed to be done by the um, regulatory authority, which in the agency, which in this case is MB. Um, <laughs> There are huge holes in that thing. There is no analysis of who the regulated parties are and what their interests are. There are no, there is no analysis actually of the types of buildings and the use of those buildings. The fact that people live in some of these buildings, that they are homes, is completely 100% ignored by all the policy work that went on. So this, there's just this, um, you know, I think you're right to refer to the um, the Canterbury quakes and and what happened in in Christchurch. You know, seems to be kind of all wrapped up in a photograph of the CTV building, and yet it, that had nothing to do with earthquake proneness. It had everything to do with the building not having been built properly in the first place to code, and having been signed off by the council. So. You know, it's a very emotional thing to look at that photograph or those photographs, but it has nothing to do with the issue. But there's no analysis in the in the papers from MB that informed, was supposed to inform the, the minister and parliament well, and select committee and parliament in running up to the amendment bill in 2016. There's, there's no analysis about any of those things. So impact, impact on um, the economy, environment, and, and the regulated parties, the building owners, was completely ignored. And their health hazel, and I know that there's a health toll. Yeah, um, could I be clear? Yeah, no, I, you no longer own that apartment. You no longer have any no. vested interest in what happens from now. Uh, you've been through what you've been through, right? Um, and you've done the work you've done. But there's no, there's no gain for you now. Is that the case? Um, I don't think there's any justification for what apartment owners have been forced 
to lose and are being forced to lose, which on average, no matter what path they take, it's half a million dollars. I can't find any justification for that. There are no benefits to those owners and there are no benefits, no discernible benefits to the public in what they have gone through, which in most cases or many cases includes losing their homes and their future financial security. No justification for that. Human rights have been kind of just put to one side of this. So, yes, I do have a vested interest because along with all the other people who have had their lives, you know, trashed by this, I would quite like that to be recognised. And I, I think we should be compensated because we've been played. We've been, um, you know, taken on a ride here on a completely false premise that these buildings are dangerous and strengthening them will save hundreds of lives. It's not true. 29 lives from your analysis is the difference between doing nothing and doing what is required. And is that 29 lives over the next 75 years? Did I hear you correctly? That's right, yes, that's right. Hazel, thank you very much, Hazel Kirkham. Back to our councillor Iona Pannett. It is an emotional issue, um, and that hard work on analysis on top of everything else also presents a fairly stark picture, doesn't it? Um, do you concur, by the way, can you find any fault in the analysis that the inner city group have done? Oh, look, I'm deeply sympathetic and, and I've long been concerned about the costs because ordinary people can't afford that kind of money. But there is some gaps in the analysis. Um, MB was quite clear at the time that the broader social and cultural benefits weren't um, calculated or the benefit to the economy. So if we have a resilient city, then people are going to want to live here and invest here. If I have a building that's 120% of MBS, I'm going to have a much easier job of selling it than if it's 34. So I think we've all seen the devastating pictures overseas of buildings pancaking. We are in a very, very risky geographical area. We do need to have a resilient city. But the council's long-term view has been that, that people should have some assistance to, to meet uh, the target of having that resilience. It shouldn't all be a private burden. So are you saying stay the course on the improvements as uh, MB envisages them? Uh, the number of buildings that won't collapse between now and end century because of the calculations they've done and where the NBS is set? So what we're calling for is a review. It needs to be a first principles one because, as I said at the start, we're the only country in the world that makes it mandatory to retrospectively strengthen your building. Japan, uh, California, China, they don't do it. So we need to look at whether that's fit for purpose and then what we need to do to build more resilient buildings going forward. But we are going to have earthquakes the flaw in the legislation, from my point of view, actually, is that it envisages a moderate earthquake. That's not so much the kind of earthquake we need to worry about. It's the severe and the catastrophic ones, which are going to happen. The National Seismic Hazard Model, which has just been released, shows more risk. But where where do you then go with how to resolve this? Do you stay the course on requiring these buildings to strengthen as currently required, but somehow someone's going to magically fund it, along with magically funding the, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars of underground infrastructure needed for water? Or do you believe those 
what is being measured as risk needs to change. What we learned from Christchurch, CTV and the um, PW, uh, excuse me, what was the second building that collapsed badly? Um, I can envisage it. PGN or something. Yes. Um, Those to the side, others were killed by falling parapets and falling verandas and unsecure facades. So do we need to rethink where you get the most gain? Absolutely. So, look, obviously I'm a politician, not an engineer, and really we need that expert advice to say, where are the critical failures? And let's go after those first. Where are the buildings, like our town hall, which do need to be strengthened because we're going to have thousands of people going through. But it is true, if you're being hard, 489 people have died in earthquakes in this country over, what is it, 177 years, whereas over 95 years we've lost nearly 38 thousand people, actually 39,000 people on our roads. So we have to look at the risk in a rational way. But the countries in the ring of fire do have a regime. They always tighten the standards after a major earthquake and they also help owners to meet the costs. Mm-hmm. The other real frustration for people in the capital anyway has been the rules changing. You strengthen once and then you find yourself strengthening again. You think you have an 80% NBS building and then all of a sudden you're less than 15%. Is it red book, yellow chapter or yellow book, red chapter? There seems to be, you know, uh, someone can suddenly say precast uh, concrete is a bad thing and all of a sudden half the office blocks in Wellington seem to go out. Who's making those decisions? Where does that sit in this arbitrary number that you're either a bit above or a bit below, but to be fair, if you're 50 or 60%, good luck selling at the moment. The banks don't like it. The insurers don't like it. In fact, some of them don't even look at the NBS. They still aren't happy with the age of the building. That's right. So uh, Parliament was aware of that issue um, at, at the time, and they were trying to put some controls in place, but look, even the councils found out. I was shocked when I was told that they're doing a detailed analysis of the city gallery building. I thought, oh, we've done that 10 years ago. We've strengthened it. Now let's move on to the other buildings in the Civic Square. So who determines, who's setting the Red Book, Yellow Chapter, vice versa? Well, is that an engineering in, in, is, yeah, yes, document? Yes. And then what weight does that carry? That is then applied to the assessment number that will come out of the possible reassessment of a building. That's right, and I guess that's that's one of the things that a review needs to look at, is that that has to stop happening. We cannot afford to strengthen every 10 years, obviously. Even a city can't afford to do it, or the government. But nevertheless, building science does move on, and you can't say once you've strengthened, you'll never have to do it again. It's the first principle to preserve life. Yes. Not to preserve a building, but to preserve life. And do you believe from what you are seeing that principle is driving decisions that are being made with respect to buildings and Wellington. That is the exact policy intent, and because we know we are going to have more earthquakes and more severe earthquakes in the next 50 to 100 years, so we need to be ready for that. But it has to be rationally based, and I completely agree that people shouldn't be pushed out of their homes. A point here, please ask about the statistics of life-changing injuries related to earthquake-prone buildings. In Christchurch, we hear about the lives lost, but not more than the 2,000 with life-changing injuries. That is a very fair point also. You've got a minute left. What do you want from the Minister and when? Look, the Minister really has been great. We just need a multi-party agreement. So the Minister needs to lead the work. The Parliament needs to come on board and just say, look, and with expert advice, feedback from the public, this is where we sit on the level of risk. This is how much we can afford to pay. Most of us don't earn very much money in this country. We're quite poor. 
So we just need to do that work and then then we will know where the best regime is. But I don't know whether we need to be the, the most strict in the world. I think that's one of the first questions we need to ask. It's going to be a uh, difficult conversation. You just want it had now. Thank you, Iona Panett. Thanks also earlier to Hazel Kirkham.